All right, everybody. Well, let's open up our Bibles this morning. We're going to continue in our study through 1 Corinthians. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 through 40, page 960 in your pew Bible, if you have that with you today. Any time that a judge is sitting on the bench and chaos breaks out in the courtroom, it starts getting a little out of hand, and what does the judge do? He slams his gavel down and he says, order in the court. The judge wants order. He wants order so that justice can be done in a healthy, helpful, and fair manner. As we look through the scriptures, we, we see that God seems to really like order himself. All the way back in creation, he ordered the heavens, he ordered the whole universe of the sea. He said, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here, you, here your proud waves must stop. Job chapter 38, verse 25, God built order into all things. He made the paths of the sea. He, he, uh, he made ocean currents. Psalm chapter 8, verse 8. He made the four seasons. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. God is the God of order. And the Apostle Paul, as he speaks to us today, as he was speaking to the Corinthian church that was a, that was a model of disorder, and messiness, and selfishness, and chaos. It is as if Paul slams down his gavel this morning and says, guys, there should be order somewhere else, one other place, and that's in the church. So I want us to look at this this morning as we look at three principles for worship. Three principles for worship to us, for us to apply as the body as a whole and for us individually in our Christian lives. Let me begin in verse 26. What then, brothers? This brings us back to look back to the fact that Paul was unveiling this, this uh, gift called tongues last week that was overemphasized, and there was an obsession with it in the early church. Church services were, de- were descending into chaos, and there was a selfishness that began to think that if I have this gift, it's better than other gifts, and, and so the church was descending into chaos as everybody was talking over one another. Nobody knew what the heck they were saying, and um, the church was not being edified. So in light of all of this, in light of the fact that last week he said that prophecy is actually the preferred gift because it's intelligible, it's given so that the church may understand a word from the Lord, in light of all of this stuff that we talked about last week, what then should we do? And so Paul says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or a temptation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in the tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And in each turn. And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to one another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and and be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And 
and in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Oh boy, don't worry, I'm going to get into this this morning, all right? Just keep your stones in your purse, ladies, all right? I promise I'll explain. I hope um, I'll get out of here unscathed uh, and just, I'm going to walk to my car very quickly in the parking lot today, all right? I'm just kidding. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones in it? Or, see, I I got so worried about those last two verses, I, I, I can't even speak anymore. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. But all this should be done decently and in order. All right, let me share with you today quickly three principles for our worship. Worship participation, number one, worship participation must also bring edification. Starting in verse 26, we'd see two things that should be present in our worship. That is participation. We should participate. You should be an active listener this morning. You should be an active participant when we come together. That's on Sunday mornings. That's in your small groups. Whenever we come together to worship the Lord, there should be an active participation. But that participation should be for the purpose of edification. And whenever edification is not possible through our participation, we should sit down and relax. Because edification is paramount. Participation is important. Edification is the end goal. We see this in verse 26. Paul mentions four things that happened in the Corinthian church worship. A a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. It's important to understand he's not giving an exhaustive list here. He doesn't mention prayer. He doesn't mention the reading of Scripture or the preaching of Scripture. Okay? And so that's important here. He's not giving us a detailed list. He's not trying to order our worship. He's saying, you guys in the Corinthian church, these things are evident in your worship. These are good things. Now, when you do them, this is how they should be done. Does that make sense? This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Other parts of Scripture, we are commanded for the Word of God to be preached. We're commanded to pray. We're commanded to read Scriptures. Here we have a description of what happened. And so, what we should, we should not think that if tongues is not present in our worship service, we are doing something wrong. If spontaneous prophecy is not happening, we are doing something wrong. There are universal principles that Paul is getting at. He is using these four things as a way to illustrate a lesson that he wants to teach the church. He's using four things that are present at their worship services to say, okay, Now, let me use these four things to illustrate for you a universal, general principle of edification and participation that I want you guys to understand. And I want to be present when you do these things. Okay? 
One of the problems we face in the church today is the passivity that invades our worship. We're there, they had way too many hands in the pot when they were coming together. And, and let me just say, most of the time in the early church when they came together for worship, they came together in small groups, in homes. These were house churches. Did they come together in a general assembly from time to time? Yes, probably. But most of the time, these things were playing out in homes. Okay, this is a specific context here that's taking place. There were not an excess of trained leaders other than the apostles. And so when they came together, they were helping one another. Right? One was coming with a hymn. One was coming with a song. One was coming with a word from the Lord. And they were helping one another learn. This was taking place primarily in, in the homes, in the smaller context. But it probably took place again in the general services as well. A little bit different context here. But one of the, one of the things, we, we tend to err the other way. We tend to turn church into a spectator sport. Let's go and let's see how good the, the preacher is today. And let's see how good the band is today. And I'm just going to go and enjoy. I, one of my pet peeves um, and I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but we will never call our church services experiences. Okay? I know that others have used that term. That drives me insane. That is the very opposite of what the scripture, the biblical design for the worship service to be. It's not a, an experience. It's a participatory event with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's, it's another reason why we're not going to worship with the lights turned off. It's not an individual experience that is meant to rouse your emotions. It is a time for us as the body of Christ to come together, worship the Lord together in a corporate way in which we're participating and it is for the betterment and edification Yes, first to the Lord, but also for one another. I can't worship with people I can't see. All right, off my soapbox and back on the text, okay? So, biblical worship is not simply a service to be attended. It is something personal for you to engage in. For worship, it is vital that it be participatory. What mates for a spirit-filled church? It's not a great sermon. It's not that the band plays all the best songs. It's that the spirit shows up with the people that attend. It's that you come here spirit-filled, ready to worship, that we may engage the Lord together. That you come ready to participate. He's filled you. He's at work in you. He's gifted you to serve and contribute to His people in some way. Now, in some of the ways that the, the Apostle Paul talks about here, in those deeper ways, those more active ways in the actual worship service, as I said before, these are probably best done in smaller groups. It would be very difficult for everybody to contribute out loud this morning in our setting. In a smaller group, you can have a lot of those conversations. People can, can give their thoughts based on the passage. They can speak wisdom into one another's lives. Deeper biblical community engaging one another on deeper levels takes place best there. And so that's reason like 199 
as to why you should be in one of our growth groups. Because a lot of these deeper, intimate engagements can take place there. It's easy for you to show up, sit here, and sneak out the back before anybody can say hello to you. That's not really biblical community. That's not really worship, spirit-filled engagement in where you come not just to get, but to give of yourself as God has gifted you. And so some of those things happen best on the small group level, but we want to model other things when we come together. The worship service is not just about me. It's not just about Shane getting up and entertaining you or feeding you God's Word. That's why we have worship teams. That's why we have a call to worship that I don't usually do. That's why we have prayer times. That's why from time to time we'll have a testimony. That's why I don't hog the pulpit. I try to share it sometimes with other elders and and teachers in our church. It's not just about me. That's why we want to have you join one of our many ministry teams that help make Sunday mornings happen. Because coming together for worship together is about what we can give to one another, not just what I can get. It should be participatory, but everything that we do should be for the purpose of edification. Participation, unhindered and unbridled, can bring chaos if we don't have the principle of edification also in the front of our minds. Over and over again, Paul talks about that these services should not descend into chaos. And restraint should be brought about on the the side of the person that feels as though they have a particular gift to give if that gift could not also edify those around you. Edification is key. The worship service is not just about you only. It's about everyone around you. And making sure that everything that is done here today and every time that we gather ultimately edifies the Lord. So important is edification and unity that we cannot allow anything to cause division and chaos. Now, this doesn't mean that we should be afraid of the Spirit to show up this morning. We should want that. We should be sensitive to that. But we also need to be careful that my desire to use my gift doesn't take the church sideways. Doesn't cause distraction. And Paul says, you may be gifted, and that's wonderful. But you also have responsibility that if it's not the right time for you to use that gift, if it's not going to benefit others around you, remember that gift's not for you, it's for the church. And if that gift is not going to edify in that context, in that moment, you have responsibility to restrain. Let me just give you a funny illustration, okay? If I... If after my sermon today, I, I called for a contemplative time, right? I, I really want you to, to think about what, what God would have for you. And we had a closing song, right? And I, I'm asking you to really do business with the Lord in your hearts and your minds. And, and you are just sitting there and you're saying, you know what? At this moment, I really feel as though God has given me the gift of interpretive dance. And so you just get up, you start coming down the aisles, and I mean, you're just dancing and you know, I mean, just, I mean, all of a sudden, you just have the gift of interpretive dance. And you're just, and, and you feel as though, you know what, I, I can't just be restrained to my pew. 
No, I, I've got to come down and do it in front of everybody because I just got that gift and my gift's important and so therefore I'm going to use it. Now, God may gift you an interpretive dance and I praise Jesus for that. He hasn't gifted me in that, okay? But, but He may gift you and that's wonderful and there may be a time and a place, preferably when I'm not here, um, in which, I'm just kidding, but you know, there may be a time and a place where that would be appropriate where that would edify others around you, where that would bring glory to the Lord, where that might not be a distraction. But in that moment, that might take the worship service sideways. That may take the attention off the Lord and put it on you. You see what I'm saying? And so God may gift you that way, and I celebrate that, and I thank the Lord for that. But in that moment, the, the high likelihood of you being a distraction over a blessing is pretty good. And so in that moment, we would ask that the spiritual person, the mature believer that is ultimately concerned about God's glory and the edification of those around them, not being a distraction, not having our guests think that you're nuts, okay? All of those things should then bring restraint in that moment. Does that make sense? Okay, very good. But here's my question. Do you show up here on Sunday or in your small group thinking about what you can give or only about what you can get? Worship should be participatory. Paul says we all have something to give. And what you give should be humble. It should be edifying to others, not yourself. The point of gatherings is for others, not just me. Now, how can I make sure that my participation also brings edification? Number two, worship must also be orderly. Worship must also be orderly. That's really the middle section of this text as he, as he goes into, okay, you, you guys are speaking in tongues in your service. We should not forbid that, he says in verse 37. It's there in your service. Let's try to redeem it now. Let's try to do it in a way that would be God-honoring. It's not a command for all churches to do these things. Okay, we don't practice that in our worship services for reason that I explained last week. I do believe God can use it, but it was primarily a sign for unbelieving Jews in a foreign language that would be known to them. It always had the presence of interpretation. Um, and so, and it is secondary to prophecy and teaching. And so we're, we're going to major on those things. Could God use it in different contexts? I believe he could. I believe he could. I don't want to put God in a box. I don't want to restrain what I don't think the Bible restrains for us. But at the same time, there was a specific context for these things. And we want to honor that as well. But he says, okay, tones are present in your midst. But things are getting crazy. How many of you enjoy when all of your kids decide to talk to you at once? Is that helpful? Are you able to accurately discern what just happened in the life of your kids when they all come running and screaming at you at once? No. It's chaotic. It's annoying. Right? Um, it, it, it brings stress. Right? And you can't really make a good cognitive decision in that moment when everybody's talking at once. The same is true in the church. Tones and prophecy were getting out of hand. Everybody's talking over one another because everybody's concerned about themselves. 
Paul says we need to rein this in if it's going to be in any way God-honoring and church-beneficial. And so, if we're going to have tongues, there also needs to be an interpreter. So if there's no interpretation, keep your tongue to yourself. That's really the word here, okay? There's not an interpreter present that can interpret this foreign language that, that you are getting up and sharing, then you should restrain, okay? Also, it's interesting. He puts an order to this, two or three people at most. When others are speaking, you are to be silent. When the third person is done, we're done. That's a little bit different than than the sign gifts are now used today and abused today. This is evidence over and over again that the gifts of the Spirit are given by God. They are brought along by the Lord. They should stir the emotions of the heart. They should be used in a Spirit-filled capacity. But listen to me. I don't care how many times you see it on television... The gifts of the spirits are not uncontrollable. There is no being slain in the spirit. There is no uncontrollable ecstatic utterance. There is no uncontrollable laughter brought about by the Holy Spirit. There is no uncontrollable anything given to the child of God for the worship service. That is unbiblical. That is an abuse of what God has given to us for the betterment of one another and for His glory. They are controllable. Tongues are not ecstatic, but self-controlled. Same with prophecy. Prophecy, speaking or applying the word, a word from the Lord should be controlled. It should be considerate of one another. One person should not be rude and be talking over another. And we should not talk on and on and on and on. I'm going to try to not do that this morning, okay? I try to be respectful of your time. And also respectful to others that are going to participate in the service. Paul says in verse 29, Others should weigh carefully what is being said. This has a negative and a positive connotation. You should weigh what I say this morning to make sure it is of God. Now, when we talked about prophecy, which was speaking a word of wisdom from the Lord that would be in line with Scripture, but not necessarily verse by verse from Scripture, that too should be weighed by other prophets and teachers and pastors in the church to make sure it is of God. It is biblically accurate. Anything from God will not contradict His written word. And so the negative side of things is we make sure that what is said is not an error. The positive side of that is weighing it and asking the question, how does what is being said impact my life? Listening carefully and weighing what is said also asks the question, how do I bring what is in the text into application in my life? Notice verse 33 again, that the character of God must be reflected in our worship. God is not a God of chaos. Does He stir the emotion? Does He want a spirit-filled church? Should you walk out today feeling different than when you come in? Absolutely. He is not anti-emotion. But He never drives us to chaos. And if our church descends into chaos in our worship service, in the way we act 
um, amongst one another, in the way we do business as a church, it is not from God. What does Paul say? Verse 33, God is a God of peace. By the way, God is a God of ultimate peace. Some of you here today perhaps have never experienced the peace of God in your life. All of these things, you're like, man, you're kind of preaching to the church and and this is my first time or I don't really know what all this is about. Let me steer you to what is most important. Is that God is not just a God of peace in the church. He is a God of peace for your life. He has brought peace through His Son Jesus. When our relationship was broken with God because of our sin, and that sin severed that relationship with God, and we don't have peace in our lives, we don't have assurance, God brought peace through His Son Jesus, who died for our sins, so that you could have peace in your life now, and peace in eternity with God, not separated from God. And the way in which that peace of God comes into your life is not by what you do, but by how you respond in repentance, turning from your sin and turning toward Christ. You can have the peace of God, the very character of God in your life today because of what Jesus has done for you. I'd be happy to talk more with you about that after the service if you'd like. So order edifies. We have orderly tongues. We have orderly prophecy. And oh boy, verses 34 and 35, we see orderly women. Okay? Orderly women. Now I can see that our guys just woke up and are ready to take notes. Okay? And I'm probably, I'm, I'm trying not to look too carefully, but I bet you I'm getting the stink eye from some of our ladies, probably my wife included. Certainly my mother-in-law. All right? But, um, now, I'm just kidding, but in all seriousness, let's try to humbly seek the understanding of God's Word. Let me read the text for us one more time. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says, if, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. The all churches and all saints seems to be directed at all of the Corinthians. All the churches there. Now, we see very clearly in Scripture, I think, um, elsewhere in the New Testament, even from the pen of Paul, that God does have a design for function in the church. Men and women are equally made in the image of God. I've talked about this at length before. And this passage really does not speak fully to the actual doctrine of of the role of women in the church. I believe this is really situational in light of something that has happened in these churches, okay? And so, God does seem to design men for the office of elder and teacher of men and women in the body. I do believe that that, um, the other offices in the church... And God has designed those to be for all genders, okay? Women could prophesy in the early church. We see that in chapter um, 11, verse 7, when Paul's talking about women prophesying, but they should prophesy with their head covered. Again, as we looked and we saw that, we saw that it was more situational and cultural 
rather than universal. That's why we don't instruct that in our church today in light of those cultural norms that we looked at in the first century church. So women could participate in public worship, in prayer, in prophecy. We, we celebrate that in our church. Spiritual gifts are both for men and for women. But, and Paul gives clear universal commands in the details of this elsewhere. But here he uses some sweeping language that if not read carefully and in context of what was happening in that church and in that region at the time, could seem to contradict what he says elsewhere. Why would he say women should never talk in church when he's already said they should prophesy and pray? That doesn't make sense, does it? It seems that there must be a situation at play here that is driving this big command. And I think that is true. In the city of Corinth, women had been converted from all kinds of foreign religions. They relished the new freedom, and they should, okay? The culture at that time far more restricted women than God ever did. And so they felt this, this release here. But unfortunately, they were sort of swinging the pendulum the other way. And man, they were loving this freedom, and they were taking it a little bit too far. Just like we've talked about freedom in other areas with our spiritual gifts, right? We want to be free to use them. We can take them too far and they stop being edifying. The same was what was happening with some of the ladies in the church and what they were doing. It was ceasing to be edifying and it was becoming distracting. They relished the new freedom. It seems they were flaunting their Christian liberties and they were becoming distractive and offensive in that setting. In the Greek culture, women were discouraged from saying anything in public. And they were certainly now not to confront or question men publicly. You got to understand the context in which something was written, okay? Context is everything. Apparently, some of the women who had become Christians began to actually speak up or stand up in the worship services and question what was being said. This was causing division in the church. In addition, the women of this day did not receive formal education as the men did. The speaking to which Paul refers was probably inappropriate questions at inappropriate times. And some have even suggested that some of the wives of those prophesying were like standing up and refuting. What was, I mean, could you imagine that I'm, I'm up here and I'm doing my best to deliver and my beautiful wife stands up and says, Honey, what the heck are you talking about? It probably wouldn't be edifying. You, I'm sure you get a kick out of it. But it probably wouldn't be edifying to the church. It would be distracting. So this isn't a muzzle for women. This is what he's talking about here is restraint for the purpose of edification and order. Don't take your liberty, your gifting, too far. It not only would have been culturally offensive... It would have been disruptive in the worship service itself. And, and so where, where disruption can happen as a result of our freedom, we have responsibility as, as growing believers in Christ to willingly restrain that freedom. Does that make sense? All right. I haven't had a rock thrown at my head yet, so I, I'm just going to move on. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to count that as a win and move on. All right. Now, the questions that were being asked 
Paul says these could easily be addressed at home. Okay? And so let's talk about these in those settings and not disrupt the church as a whole. Now, guys, let me just whack you up aside the long, uh, uh, up alongside the head for just a moment in a very spiritual kind way. The implication here is, ladies, you should be able to have these discussions with your husbands at home. And your husband should be a resource of God's wisdom for you. Guys, what's the implication there? We should be the spiritual leaders of our households. Now, we, we should want the women in our church, and I mean, they, they do Bible studies constantly. We should want them to be incredible students of the Word, and I celebrate that. And we, we foster that here. They should be able to lead in a, in a whole lot of ways. But guys, don't... Le- don't use the fact that your wife has been saved longer than you or baptized longer than you or in the church longer than you as an excuse for you being a spiritual dummy. The implication here is that the husband, the father, was to be a resource of God's wisdom for the home. Now, is this a process? It absolutely is. And at the end of the day, might your wife, because of her studious study, know more about God's word? Maybe. And we celebrate that. But guys, let me encourage you, don't use that as an excuse to always point the kids and others to your wife and not to yourself. You have a responsibility to find the answers to the questions of your family. Let me encourage you, get a study Bible. Get a, get a Bible dictionary so you can help your family with, with words and scripture. Get a, a one-volume whole Bible commentary set so that you can begin to understand what's happening in these passages. If you don't know how to use them, come talk with me. If you don't have a resource or you don't know what to buy, come talk with me or another godly uh, leader in the church. We'd love to help you in that way, to equip you and encourage you to lead your household well so that your spouse doesn't need to stand up and interrupt the worship service because She never has an opportunity to ask somebody who knows anything about God's Word. All these conversations should be taking place in the homes. You you should be a resource of spiritual wisdom for your family. If you're not there yet, that's fine. We never arrive in that. But let me encourage you to today be compelled to take a positive step in that direction. Okay? Then finally... Worship, it should be participatory and edifying. It should be orderly. And finally, it should also be balanced. Paul concludes this section with defending his apostleship. And then he moves into that worship should be balanced. Let me read these passages for us. If anyone does not recognize, or I'm sorry, um, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are commands of the Lord. These are these things here that he's giving as instructions should be taken as commands. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire for prophecy, because prophecy is of greater edifying value. But do not forbid tongue speaking. But all things should be done decently and in order. Here's this beautiful mixture that should be present in our church. Worship should be spirit-filled. It should be authentic, 
but we should not be afraid for it also to somewhat be prepared. We shouldn't feel as though we cannot have an order to our service. There should be. But we should leave room for the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. I have up here my sermon that I work on every week. I spend time praying over it. I write it by hand or, well, by typing. It's still my hands, I guess. Every week. How much of this do you think actually gets shared with you? Probably a lot more than what's on these pages. Why? Because I want to leave room for the Holy Spirit. I have an idea where I'm going here, but most of my illustrations that I share with you are what I think is spurred on by the Holy Spirit in the moment. I don't plan that. A lot of what I end up saying to you, I feel stirred up in the moment. It it better be biblically accurate. But I want to allow the Spirit to work in and through me as I speak to you. So, though I want to know where I'm going, and I don't want to lose my train of thought, it's there. But there's a lot that I give to you on a Sunday morning that comes in the moment, and I hope God would bless. Prepared, but authentic. Allowing room for the Holy Spirit to work. That's what our worship services should look like. We should not be afraid of order, but we should also invite the Spirit here with us this morning. A mature church is balanced in its worship. Now, as I close, how do you apply some of those things? What can you do as a child of God, as a part of the church on seven hills, in applying some of these things that we talked about this morning? Let me give you some action steps, okay? Expect God to show up in worship. It's not a social gathering. Come expecting to hear from the Lord and be ready to participate. Expect great things. Come expecting for God to do something great. But don't expect, number two, to be overcome. Don't expect to be overcome. At the same time, don't presume that God's presence means chaos, noise, and becoming overwhelmed with an out-of-mind and body experience. That is not biblical worship. God is not a God of chaos. He's not a God of the mindless and the meaningless and commotion. Why? Because He wants everything done to be done in a way that can point to Jesus and reflect His character. Those things don't do that. So come ready for God to show up. Ready for the Spirit to do work in our midst. To to do something great. But don't expect to be overcome either. Three, come to participate. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, it should be, it should show up on Sunday morning and then benefit the body. Look for ways to engage and participate in the gathering, even in small ways. Come to serve, not to be seen. Don't come only to either do nothing or to only do those things which get your face in front of everybody so that all can see how great you are. Come to serve, not just to be seen. If you want to learn more ways to serve, I've got a hundred of them that I could point you to. And we want you to serve in accordance with your giftings. If you're a very gifted musician, I'd love to talk with you about worship team. That's, that's a way you could be seen, but that's not the purpose The purpose is to honor the Lord and lead us to the throne of God. 
I got many other ways behind the scenes you can serve as well. The point is we serve for one another and for the Lord not to be seen. Also, come to learn. Come to learn. Come to learn the intelligible, knowable Word of God. Come to be pushed in that which you may think that you find out, oh, it's not actually what God said. And be willing to take what God has said over what you think. Be willing to be pushed and spurred. And then finally, come to celebrate Jesus. Worship is all about Jesus who died for your sin so that you can have new life. Don't come just for one another or for yourself. Come to lift high the name of Jesus. That is what worship is all about. That's why we have to be careful and reverent in how we do it. Because it's not just a celebration like other things where everybody can do what they want and it's okay because we're just joyful and celebrating. No, we are celebrating a person. And because of how great he is and what he has done, at the least we can do is celebrate him his way. Let us believe in the greatness of our Lord and let us worship him with the praise that he is due. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for its challenge. I pray that you would guide and direct us, Father. In these difficult passages, I pray that you would make them come to life in a way that we can apply them. Father, if there are questions on, or concerns on hearts this morning, I pray that you would speak in a great muddy way through prayer into their hearts this morning. That if questions still abound, that, 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 that we would talk with one another, engage one another, be willing to ask questions that we might grow and learn. Dialogue. Father, I ask your blessing now as we take this offering and as we sing and close in prayer that you would be honored and glorified and praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.